Good evening. How is everyone? I'm going to start my timer here, and I'm going to try to do this in such a way that we get out in time to get you fed. That way I won't go off on a bunch of rabbit trails. Uh, however, I will start with a rabbit trail. <laughs> I don't know how many of you have been in uh, Christian circles for how many years, but I can remember coming into um, the church in the, in the 80s, what that was like, and and I came into a, a movement called the Vineyard, and it was up in Denver, and during that period of time, there was a, a kind of a renewal. There was a, a really a, a movement of the Holy Spirit. It was really powerful. And I remember it brought in a, a, some influence from the '70s, from the old Pentecostal stuff, and some of that old uh, methodology and things came with that. And I remember going through the training and listing some of the old timers <laughs> and I'm one of those now so but I, I remember people talking about the devil and they were so devil focused in those days you know, he was so you know powerful and so influential and every, there was a demon behind every bush and I remember thinking you know this doesn't this doesn't fit for me it didn't seem right and I, we went through a season in the church where we were uh, we swung the other way, and everything was about psychology and getting your head screwed on straight and right thinking and behavior. And I remember this doesn't feel right either. I thought there's got to be some balance here. Um, and I think uh, to a large degree, we're seeing that come to pass. Um, uh, sometime back in January, I remember reading a prophetic word from Chris Vallotton regarding the subject of spiritual warfare. You guys ever had much teaching on that subject? Yeah, so we've heard it probably across the board, different perspectives on this. I'm going to try to bring you something tonight I think is very biblical, and I think it's current. I was intrigued with his thoughts because at the time I read this, I was studying the subject of spiritual warfare. And, um, and, he, and he wrote, I'm going to quote just one, a one-liner here, maybe a paragraph. He said, there was an onslaught of fear during 2018. Because we moved into enemy territory that had been occupied for years. So there was, a, there was a conflict that developed by the church moving into an arena that they had not previously been part of. He said demonic forces that have held the planet in their clutches for generations were and still are being broken. So we don't gain this territory without resistance and conflict. And it shows up in our lives, whether we recognize that or not. So you may have experienced resistance in the form of anxiety, depression, nightmares, even suicidal thoughts. And, um, and so he's saying here, because you have taken new land to change the world and to love the hell out of the earth. Don't you love that language? And as you take new ground, there's resistance pushing back against you. And so I, I try to... I try, I'm putting that together with what God's speaking to me, and it's, and it's like there's a, you know, there's a gift uh, of the Holy Spirit called discerning of spirits. Have you ever heard that discernment? And it's, uh, it's basically, and uh, it's a gift given freely by the Holy Spirit to the church, and it often comes to us as a feeling that that all is not well. There's something either right, really right, and we're celebrating that, or there's something that doesn't feel right. And maybe we need to check that out and just maybe just balance or something. And so sometimes it takes a revelation of the Spirit to realize that we're dealing with something evil and dark. 
Sometimes you don't recognize that in your own thinking, that what you're going through at a difficult time may or may not be just natural. And I'm here, my, I propose that it's not always natural, that there is an enemy, I'm going to describe him in a moment, and he would love to see you completely destroyed in your whole family. Most people I counsel or minister to, and I'm still doing some of that, even though I've been retired for a few years, I'm still have my hand in some prayer, some counseling, and so I'm in it enough to see uh, what's going on in people's lives. And um, most people, I'll say that, most people are not aware that their struggle may be on a spiritual level. Their problems are aggravated and spurred on by something uh, that is unseen, they're unaware of it, and they assume what they're struggling with is their own fallen nature or their own behavior or their own wrong choices. And uh, that's not always true. Uh, Rick Joyner wrote on this subject recently, I mean, just this week, and he said, a fundamental calling of Christians. I like this. A fundamental calling of Christians is to, number one, experience heaven. And number two, is to bring heaven to earth. It's Jacob's ladder. We ascend into the heavenlies, and our, we celebrate what we see there, and we come back full of God, and we share that in our lives with people. This is the ladder that was described to Jacob. To do this, though, we must understand that the kingdom of God will not be established like the kingdom of men. The kingdom of God, he says, will not come with carnal weapons, or carnal force, or political alliances, or any human means. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 6. Isn't that good to know? So one of my, one of my verses tonight is Ephesians 6, 12. And I'm going to talk about that for a moment, and maybe unpack it for you just a little bit from what I see. And you'll recognize this, this verse when I read it to you. And see, the Paul, Paul says this. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You remember that one? So he starts off and he says, our struggle. Now, who is the hour? Our struggle. It's believers. Because he's writing to the church of Ephesus. And it's Christians. And this, this letter gets passed around for everyone to read. It gets put in a book. And for 2,000 years, he's been saying, our struggle is not with flesh and blood. And yet, we somehow have determined that it is. We have political and social alliances. We have clicks and things of this nature, and I just don't believe that's what God had in mind. I think there's something else at play here that we need to understand. So the who that's in the struggle is you and me. The flesh and blood, who are these people? Everyone. Flesh and blood is all of us. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're black, white, brown, yellow, red, it's all of us that are flesh and blood. We are not the problem. We may act out the problem, and we may behave badly, and we may be abusive, but that person is not the problem. There's something else going on here. And he says there's a struggle, and so Ephesians 6 goes on to say what that struggle is about. You can imagine, but here's what he says. The rulers, this is who, who we're struggling against, the, uh, us. The, our struggle is not with people, it's with these things. The rulers, 
against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, why is there a struggle between these powerful demonic evil spirits and mankind? Good question. Glad you asked. John 8.44 tells us the answer. Jesus is telling this, so it's going to be fairly accurate. He says, he, the devil, has been a murderer right from the start. He never stood with the one who is the true prince, for he's full of nothing but lies. Lying is his native language. He is a master, get this, he is a master of deception and the father of lies. Just from that description, what does that say about his tactics? And the weapons that he uses against us people. He uses lies and the strategy of accusation and slander. That's part of his name. So clue number one to our spiritual struggle is we are fighting a spiritual war with a master of deception and lies who is bent on violently destroying God's creation. All of it. All the people, the planet, everything that's associated with anything God made that he said is good. The devil said, I, I hate it with a vengeance. And he's raging against God. He with me? So how do you suppose he does this? Well, like you said, he does this with deception and lies. In his parable of the sower and the seed, you might remember Jesus was talking in Luke 8, and he's telling the story about the seed falling on various kinds of soil. And one of those references is pertinent to this discussion because he says this. He says, the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so they will not believe and be saved. So the tactic here is for the devil to come and steal away the word of God from our hearts in some manner of slander and lies and accusations that brings an accusation against God's goodness. He's looking and hoping to open up a conversation with mankind where he can begin to deceive them just like he did in the garden. Did God really say that? Do you think that's, he's for you? And he begins this dialogue of taking us off the path of God's goodness and his faithfulness into believing lies about God that are not true. Paul gives us an answer to this combating this strategy in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. And he says this, and it sounds real similar to the Ephesians passage. He says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Another translation says, Though we're in the world, we don't do war like the world does. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh. They're not of this world. They're not constructed by man to do damage to human beings. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Does that sound familiar? That's the same gist of what Ephesians is saying. So Paul is continuing the same message in the church in Corinth. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And these fortresses, he calls them, are not natural fortifications or forts or buildings. He's talking about something that's spiritual. And the fortresses and the strongholds that he's trying to build in mankind are the strongholds of beliefs. And the beliefs are based on the lies that he continually bombards us with. 
demonic lies that have been woven into our thinking. And what are the building materials with which he builds these strongholds? What is the construction of these spiritual fortresses? Verse 5 goes on to say, we are destroying, and these are the things, speculations and every lofty thing that's raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So let's look a little closer at those three things. I brought these up in the men's group a week or so ago, and we just touched on them for a moment. But speculations might be described as the what-if questions. What if this happens? See, speculations prey on fear. Fear creates anxiety and panic, and it takes our eyes off God's faithfulness and His history and fixes our eyes on the what if this happens, and we begin to go to a fantasy of fear. Many times, panic attacks are a result of speculations and runaway fear. Just this week, I was visiting with a gentleman, and uh, in our time together, we um, he made a speculation about his future, and I, I heard it, and I recognized that that's exactly what it was. So we began to talk about the speculation he had made. And so basically, he was reacting to his boss's comment about a performance issue. He was being, I guess, addressed, and it was something negative about it, and it came out, and he immediately went to a speculation. Instead of listening to making the necessary correction and working to correct that, he went to the, what he called the worst possible scenario. You ever done that? You ever gone to the worst possible scenario and just took a leap from reality into a future that will never exist? So he did that. He, was, uh, he went into a fearful speculation about his future. It turns out that he had been doing this most of his life, not only in his work, but in relationships. He was constantly on guard and watching and judging relationships to see when they were going to self-destruct. And he had an anticipation that each one of them would come to the same end. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy, folks. When we begin to think like that, we begin to act that way, and we feed right into that fear. Do you understand what I'm saying there? So it turns out he'd been doing this, and, and so he'd, been, he'd constructed a whole theology around the worst possible scenario in his life. Well, what's the worst case scenario I need to consider? So he talked about a little bit why he practiced this habit. And he said he had done that way in order to survive in life. He tried to anticipate possibility of things that would go wrong so that he could prepare himself and have a, a plan B or an exit strategy. You, you know what I'm talking about? Sure you do. We all do that, don't we? And so he'd hear a comment from a supervisor or someone close and filter it through his speculations and fears and began to work on his plan B and immediately he would begin I mean it's like as soon as he heard something negative he would start working on his resume it was like that and so he was he's not a year into his current employment and he's ready to bail because he got a correction and it wasn't as we went back through it I asked him to tell me what this supervisor had said and it wasn't even a correction it was a comment about something that had gone wrong but in our minds we, we can build a fantasy world of negative expectation. We speculate when a random negative thought comes us to us and we respond with a question like, well, what if that's true? Here's some questions. This might be cancer. What if it is? My wife is late getting home again. What if she's having an affair? That's a big leap, isn't it? What if my son or daughter are taking drugs? 
What if I lose my job? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because we are building our plan. We're, we're seeing our future through the grid and the understanding the filters of speculations. Those speculations aren't built on reality. They're built on the dialogue we've had with our, what we thought was ourselves and in fact was not. We view the future without God being in it. And this kind of thinking is based on a philosophy that Paul calls the second item we're going to talk about is lofty things. Now, lofty things is a demonic weapon that Satan uses to torment us. It's grounded in the belief that the devil is huge and powerful and looming and uh, unconquerable and that God is small or unavailable or doesn't care. When we go to this lofty thinking, it, it produces in us, a, 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 what's the language here? Begin to feel like this man in the story. A, we feel like a child in a grown-up world where we are powerless and helpless. And these lofty thinkings that suppose the future is going to go to hell in a handbasket and that the devil is going to have his way with us and where is God always end in the same place, in place of fear and anxiety. You with me? When I talked to him about this and he let me pray with him, he, for the first time in his life, he realized this has been a strategy of survival. And, and I said, what do you want to do with that? And he says, I don't want to do that anymore. And I said, then let's, let's ask God what he would say to you. And we went through a time of just listening to the Lord and ministering to him. And it was really good. I mean, he was able to throw off some lies and reject those and set them aside and embrace some thinking that would give him some hope in the future. And I think he's going to be able to model that for his children as well, who have lived under this same kind of thinking. When we believe we're powerless and helpless, it's because we believe that God is either absent or powerless or doesn't care. And the Bible is clear on this issue. None of those things are true. We view God as powerless and we view the devil as powerful. Then we give away our hope and we return to fatalism. The future without God leaves us as helpless victims. Let me say this, though. The devil is a created being. He's a fallen angel who was created by God. And he only exists because God allows him to exist. His, his life and the life of all of those fallen angels are in the hands of God. And with one word, he could change all of that. So whatever is going on, I want you to know it's in God's hands, and he has it. And it's not in the power of the devil. In fact, Satan's peers were all angels, all of whom God directs with his words. So how does the enemy create these speculations and lofty things, thinking? Through the use of thoughts. He's constantly probing your mind with thoughts, looking for access. Agreement at any level opens the door to spiritual activity. So thoughts are basically ideas and views or opinions that suddenly occur in the mind. I have a thought, it's an idea or something that occurred in my mind, but that doesn't mean it's mine. I want you to know much of the mind traffic we have is not our own. Some of this is, um, is, is God. 
Some of it is the enemy. Some of it's just television, the, the trash we listen to. It's just going through our heads, and it's just traffic. But I want you to know there's a plan, there's a strategy of the devil to find access into our minds with the words that he just fires right into our thinking. When these thoughts are demonic in origin, they often come cloaked in um, innocent-sounding words. It's like a Trojan horse being pushed into the city, and inside is something dark. But we receive it because it looks innocent, and we don't know how to filter that out and close the gates. The gatekeeper is asleep at the wheel. <laughs> so the enemy inter uh, constantly interacts us with us with counterfeit thoughts that, that come to us as if they were our own thinking. And I know I've told you this before, and I've taught this same subject, but it keeps coming up time and time again with, with my Thursday night men's group, with the counseling I do. People are totally unaware that what we're in is a, it's a life and death struggle in the cosmic realm, and you need to be aware so that you can resist it. Would you agree with me on that? Okay. So the, the Bible tells us, well, let me say this. How do we know that these thoughts are not our own? Is that a good question? <laughs> because if they are not the nature of Christ, then they're not our thoughts. Let me just say this. I know we take a lot of this stuff on ourselves and take responsibility for the things we're thinking. But when you were born again, what did it say about your old nature? It died. What do dead things don't just keep speaking, do they? It's dead. It's in the grave. And so we don't need to resurrect that. So if we're getting old thinking, that's not coming from that thing that's in the water baptism. It's dead. Our new nature thinks things that are of Jesus. It's the same nature that's joined to him. If our new nature is of Christ, then what are these thoughts that are coming to me that are ugly and dark? That's not my old man. This is the strategy of hell. It's counterfeiting your old self so you'll go back and continue to do this repair work on a corpse. So let's think about this. And I, I've, I've concluded this in my own life. When I have thoughts that are that nature that are ugly and dark and, and just don't seem like Jesus, I'm, I'm getting to, I've made up my mind, I'm going to assume they're of the devil. Because I don't want to think those things. My new nature doesn't want to think those things, and it's certainly not Christ. And so I'm believing that this is an onslaught, and I immediately began to filter those things out. Now, I don't always do it well. I knew when I taught this, I would be going through this week would be spiritual warfare. And it doesn't matter because I woke up this morning and I was irritated and irritable. I didn't feel well. I was angry. Everything made me mad. And I thought, mm-hmm, it's the same old stuff. It's the same old stuff. He's trying to get me in a place where I'll feel shamed and guilty and I'll blame myself for what he's doing to me. And I'll walk in here tonight with my head hanging down and I'll apologetically try to explain to you something I don't believe anymore. But that's not true. And so the, ta the tables turned on him this morning, and I was able to go to the Lord and, and get what I needed from him to strengthen me in that moment. So with this um, new nature, I don't have to entertain those thoughts anymore. Through these battles, we're learning several principles that are important to remember. I'm going to give these to you. They're just quick and easy. First, 
Evil spirits have no power over Christians. I know it feels like they do, but they don't unless we agree with them. When I begin to agree with a spiritual being, it empowers that spiritual being, whether it be the devil or whether it's the Holy Spirit. When I agree with the Holy Spirit and I say that I agree with you and I accept that and I embrace that, grace flows to me and I am empowered. When I agree with the devil, he is empowered to come and build strongholds in my lives of these, these snippets and lies and thoughts. And he is empowered. The only power he has over a Christian is when we agree with his lies and slander and accusations. The second thing I want to tell you is these battles come in waves and they will not last forever. If you are under some kind of spiritual onslaught and, it's, and it feels heavy, I want you to know this is not the way it's going to be forever. This will pass. And the sooner you get with another person to pray about this is the sooner you can begin to dispatch this, this evil. And third, if you're going through something like this, you probably didn't do anything wrong. Can you just breathe a sigh of relief? See, it's not our behavior that causes these battles. It's the one who attacks us and gains agreement with us that creates the havoc in these battles. If there's something going on, it's because you're stepping into territory probably or standing up, as it says in Ephesians, standing firm in the armor, and that's when the battle rages. All this begins with a thought that we slip past our spiritual filters and into our soul. So what do we do with this? What is the answer to this question of spiritual warfare? Paul anticipated your question, and he answers it in Ephesians 6, 10, and 14. I'm just going to pick these two verses. The rest of it in between is filler. But these two really nail the issue. Paul says, Now, my beloved ones, and that would be us, by the way, I have saved these most important truths for last. In other words, I'm summing this up, and I want to tell you, this is the best part of my message. Be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stop. Turn to Him. Ask Him for what you need and stay there until you get it. He says, stand victorious with the force of His explosive power flowing in and through you. I, this, is, this is good language, folks. We need to turn and get this from God. It's a gift that comes to us when we turn to Him and ask for it. And then He tells us this. And this is the part I want to leave with you tonight. Put on truth as a belt to strengthen your stand in triumph. Put on holiness as a protective armor that covers your heart. Stand on your feet, alert. Then you'll always be ready to share the blessings of peace. So the be this belt of truth is the first part of the armor that we want to just, I want to leave you with this. Easily, it is easily fitted into place by doing the following. When you are confronted with a thought that raises a flag and it's not of your nature and it's dark and ugly, I want you to recognize that it's not you. It's the devil. I want you to stand against it. I want you to stop 
and turn to God and say, I reject this. I'll have none of this in my, my life. And I ask you, Lord, to come and speak the truth to me. And you stay there until you get it from Jesus. Stop. Turn. Ask. And then wait. And, and then respond to what God says to you. Because he'll say to you the same thing he said five times in the book of Matthew to the believers. You've heard it said. You've heard it taught. Your leaders have said this, but I tell you the truth. And it set those people free. Would you let me pray for you? Somebody say yes. Okay. <laughs> so, Father, I just thank you for the, uh, the understanding that first of all, you are incredibly powerful. You hold, it says you hold the world in your hand and the breath of man comes from Jesus. I thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you've not abandoned us. And in spite of what it looks like in the natural, we say that you're a good God, you're a good Father, that you're loyal and faithful, and you promised you would see us through to the end. I pray, God, for a, a touch from your Spirit that would come to us and touch us and to bring hope and encouragement in times that are dark. Teach us how to war. Teach us how to ascend into your presence and teach us how to descend into the world with the good news of what we've seen in our relationship. We bless you. I bless your people. I ask you to protect them, to keep them, to love them, to heal them, and to keep us, Lord, uh, in a place of constant growth and transformation. And I ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. <laughs>